0: Job chapter 39 This is the best part of the book of Job. This is when God himself finally speaks. After letting all of those fools talk, and letting Job state his complaint and his question, God is now going to speak. Verse 1 And Jehovah answereth Job out of the whirlwind, and saith, So there is a little tornado that starts, and God speaks out of that tornado. I wonder if the reason God speaks through lightning and whirlwinds is to give us a little bit of a distraction to lessen the fear. Because lightning and tornadoes are familiar to us, as scary as they are. They are familiar. But if we were to hear God's voice in the raw, without it coming through lightning and tornadoes, it might be more terrifying than we could ever withstand, so the distraction of the lightning or the whirlwind might help us to hear him better. Just like a doctor who wants to give you a shot, he might play music or tell you a funny story while he's getting the shot ready. And when he puts it in your arm, he might be promising you a sucker so that you can take the shot a little bit easier. So I think the lightning and the whirlwind are a distraction. As scary as they are, they're not anything close to as scary as God's raw voice. 2. Who is this darkening counsels by words without knowledge? 3. Gird, I pray thee, as a man thy loins, and I ask thee, and cause thou me to know. Girding your loins is when you grab the lower part of the back of your garment, and you pull it up and forward between your legs, and you tuck it into your belt so that you can run, because it holds you in place like a diaper. So God is saying, get ready for battle, because you're going to have to answer me. For where wast thou when I founded earth, declare if thou hast known understanding? All of them have said that they don't understand God, and he is now saying the same thing. What do you know? You weren't there when I created all of earth and you. In a way it sounds like a repeat, but He's going to tell them even more that they don't know. None of them really had a right to speak. But Job didn't sin when he spoke, because he never said any lies when he spoke. 5 Who placed its measures, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched out upon it a line? You know who did that? It was Jesus. It was the Son. Because in John chapter 1, we'll read that Jesus was with the Father when he created the earth, and nothing was made without Jesus. And he's saying, Are any of you my son? When a father is building something, he lets his son do the measuring. 6. On what have its sockets been sunk? Or who hath cast its cornerstone? The Lord is speaking in simile, in terms that we can understand. You know, there's a socket that your hip sits in. The Lord is saying, What socket is the earth sitting in? or who has cast the earth's cornerstone. This is simile, so we don't take it absolute literal. We don't say, Oh, there's a big cornerstone in space, or there's a big hip socket in space, and earth is sitting on it. This is simile to explain that God has fixed the earth, and God has built the earth, and we don't understand how or why. Seven, in the singing together of stars of morning, and all sons of God shout for joy. So all the angels and all the stars sing every morning to the Lord. You and I can't hear it, but in the ancient times they knew that this happened. Maybe they could hear it in ancient times. And that had something to do with the canopy being different over us. I don't know. Or it could be that there's so much sin in the world today, that there's so many demonic voices that it prevents us from hearing the angels and the stars singing every morning. It could also be that only Adam and Eve heard this when they were in Eden, but after Eden it was only spoken about and no one else ever actually heard it. I'm not sure. But there's more than one place in the Bible that says that the stars sing in the morning. 8. And he shutteth up with doors the sea, in its coming forth from the womb it goeth out. This also is a simile, this isn't literal, but there's a womb from which the ocean flows out. This is a simile just like when Elihu said there was a chamber that the tornadoes came out of. God is now saying there's a womb that the ocean comes out of. And that's an interesting analogy, isn't it? And he says he shutteth the doors. So God has commanded how far the sea can go. It is according to God's command that the sea doesn't come ashore. And if it does, that's also according to his command. 9. In my making, a cloud its clothing, and thick darkness its swaddling band. Swaddling cloth is what you tie a baby up in when you wrap it really tight. And he says that he has swaddled the clouds in darkness. And he has, because around the clouds is space, thick darkness. And he says that he makes the cloud his own clothing. And that's true. Jesus went up in a cloud, and he's coming back down in a cloud when he returns. And God does use probably clouds around his throne. 10. And I measure over it my statute, and place bars and doors. So again, this is a simile, but God is saying that he has made boundaries for where the clouds can go and where they can't go. And that's what he means by bars and doors. 11. And say, Hitherto come thou, and add not, and a command is placed on the pride of thy billows. The Lord tells the cloud, you come to this spot, but you can't go any further. Or he tells the ocean, this is where your waves have to stop. The Lord speaks to his creation and tells his creation what to do. And this is what he commanded Moses to do the second time when Moses hit the rock and disobeyed God's command. That was when God said, you have to speak to the rock to show the word of God, which is Jesus Christ, and the word is spoken. And also to show that Jesus was only smitten once and put on the cross once. He was only killed once. God had Moses strike the rock once. He didn't want him to strike the rock a second time because Jesus only went on the cross once. But it's also to show us that he is the word and by his voice he commands. 12 Hast thou commanded morning since thy days? Causest thou the dawn to know its place? God commands every single day to begin. God is outside of time, so the days began when he created the earth, and time began when he created the earth. But he himself is outside of time. He is without days, because he is not locked inside the cage that we call time. So he has no beginning and no end. And that's why he can command time to begin and to end. And it will end. When he destroys this earth. 13. To take hold on the skirts of the earth, and the wicked are shaken out of it. This also is a simile. It's not saying that literally the earth has skirts. Men would wear long dresses and skirts back then. And when you shake your skirt, the crumbs and the dust come off of it, right? And that's what God is saying. When I want evil men to die, I just shake them off like crumbs. 14. It turneth itself as clay of a seal, and they station themselves as clothed. He's talking about putting clay in a mold, and it has no shape until after you put it in the mold, and then when it comes out it's shaped like something. All of God's creation is like clay going into the mold that he made, and when it comes out, it's dressed up the way that God wanted it to be dressed up. 15 And withheld from the wicked is their light, and the arm lifted up is broken. When you lift up an arm to somebody, it's an attack. It means that you are coming against that person illegally or in some other way. God is saying that he withholds light from wicked people, and if they come against him, their arm is broken. 16 Hast thou come into springs of the sea, and in searching the deep hast thou walked up and down? The Lord is saying, have you walked at the bottom of the ocean and explored where all the springs of the ocean is coming up from those springs? This shows us that there are springs in the ocean. Revealed to thee were the gates of death, and the gates of death shade. dost thou see. Can we see where the dead go, and how they get there? 18. Thou hast understanding, even unto the broad places of earth. Declare if thou hast not known it all. God is speaking sarcastically, saying, you understand so much, but he means this in a sarcastic way. He's saying that they don't know anything. 19. Where is this the way light dwelleth? And darkness, where is this its place? You and I can see light and darkness, and we know that space is essentially dark, but we don't know where darkness really comes from. We can't say that darkness comes from space, because we're not big enough to know where it comes from. That would be like opening a bedroom door and seeing some water on the floor in the hallway and saying, oh, water comes from the hallway. That's not logical. So if we think that darkness comes from space, we don't know what we're talking about because we're too small to figure it out. And we don't know that light comes from the sun either. He has made the sun illumined, but there is a greater light source that's way beyond the sun, and that is God. 20. That thou dost take it unto its boundary, and that thou dost understand the paths of its house. Do we command the light and give it its boundary, and do we know what house it comes from? And again, all of this is simile. He's using terminology that we can understand, but that doesn't mean that light literally comes from a house. But for all we know, it does. 21. Thou hast known, for then thou art born, and the number of thy days are many. And all of these allusions that the Lord is making are all allusions to Jesus Christ. Everything that he is saying sarcastically about mankind can be said in truth about Jesus, his son. 22. Hast thou come in unto the treasure of snow? Yea, the treasures of hell dost thou see. And it's talking about cold hell. God has a storehouse where the snow and the hell come from. 23 that I have kept back for a time of distress for a day of conflict and battle. He holds the hell sometimes for a day of distress, like when he sent hell that had sulfur and fire inside of it down on Sodom, and he also sent that same type of hell down on Egypt, and he'll send it again. When we get to the book of Revelation, we'll read that in the end times, again he will send balls of hell down on earth, and inside those ice balls will be sulfur balls of fire, so that they'll hit hard, but then when they land, they'll burn up anything that they land on. 24 Where is this the way light is apportioned? It scattereth an east wind over the earth. The Lord says he uses light to scatter an east wind. Isn't that amazing? You and I don't know how he does that, but he can use light to actually make the wind move. That's what he's saying here. 25, who hath divided for the flood a conduit and a way for the lightning of the voices. When lightning comes down and thunder comes down, it comes down in a conduit that God has given it. We think it's just going in a random pattern through the air, but it's actually going in a conduit that God has provided, and rivers go through a conduit that God has provided for them and and created for them, meaning he has made their path. 26 To cause it to rain on the land, no man, a wilderness, no man in it. God even sends rain in the wilderness where there is no human being, and he still waters that wilderness. 27. To satisfy a desolate and waste place, and a cause to shoot up the produce of the tender grass. The Lord waters the wilderness to grow the grass out in places even where no human exists. 28. Hath the rain a father, or who hath begotten the drops of dew? The Lord says, Who is the father of the rain and the dew? 29 From whose belly came forth the ice, and the hoar frost of the heavens, who hath begotten it? He says who gave birth to the ice and the hoar frost? You and I know that it did come to be, but we could never ever explain how. 30 As a stone, waters are hidden, and the face of the deep is captured. He says that water turns hard, when it turns to ice, it turns really hard like a rock. We know that ice is hard, but we can't explain why it's hard. There's no scientist anywhere on the planet that can explain why ice gets hard. They might think they can, they'll say, oh these molecules, blah blah blah, they're close together, they're not moving. But that isn't a real explanation, that's just an observation. 31. Dost thou bind sweet influences of chema or the attractions of Kessel, dost thou open? He's speaking about the constellations, we call Kima the Pleiades, and Kessel is what we call Orion today. He's saying, do you understand the constellations, and did you put them together? 32. Dost thou bring out Mazaroth in its season, and Aish for her sons dost thou comfort? Maseroth means all of the constellations. We have the summer constellations and the winter constellations. And the Lord is saying, are you the one who puts those up in the sky and puts them in position in their season? The Lord is saying, can you fasten together all of the cluster of the Pleiades, or can you loose the belt of Orion? The most focal point of the constellation of Orion is that belt. And God is saying, can you take that belt off? Aish is the constellation, the bear, and he says can you guide the bear with its cubs. So there must be other stars out there that represent the bear's cubs, but we probably can't see them anymore today because the stars have been diminished since early ancient times. They only show about two-thirds of their ancient brightness, so maybe we can't discern the cubs anymore. 33 Hast thou known the statutes of heaven, or dost thou appoint its dominion in the earth? The Lord says, Do you know all of the laws of heaven, and have you appointed its dominion over the earth? 34 Dost thou lift up to the cloud thy voice, and abundance of water doth cover thee? Can you cause the cloud to send rain on you? This is a funny insult. God is explaining that even if you could cause the clouds to rain, the water would fall on your face. Now, when God tells the clouds to rain, he doesn't get wet because he's above the clouds. The Lord is making a really good joke here. He's saying, can you cause the rain to fall and have it dump on you? Which is which is hilarious um, because he's showing that even if you could, you'd get dumped on. 25. Dost thou send out lightnings and they go and say unto thee, Behold us? And this may also be an insult, because he says, if you could command the lightning, it would flash in your face and get your full attention. Whereas when I command the lightning, I'm far above it. It doesn't demand my attention. 36. Who hath put in the inward parts wisdom, or who hath given to the covered part understanding? This can be interpreted as who has put wisdom in the mind and who has put understanding in the heart. But it also could be just anything that's inward, like even our organs. We don't know the wisdom of God that causes our organs to operate. 37 Who doth number the clouds by wisdom, and the bottles of the heavens, who doth cause to lie down? And this is another neat simile, he's saying that he has bottles of rain and snow, and he just puts them on their side when he wants it to rain, then all the water comes out of that bottle, and then he sets it upright again when he doesn't want it to rain anymore. For all we know, that's a literal truth, but it's also a simile, it's just a way of us understanding God up in heaven, and he has a snow bottle, and he just lays it on its side and lets it pour. It's a pretty neat simile. And he also says that he has all of the clouds numbered. And this is fascinating because the number of the clouds is constantly changing. Because, you know, one will dissipate and then another one will grow. 38. In the hardening of dust into hardness, and the clods cleave together. He says, we don't understand even how dust turns into a mud clump. He knows all the little particles that are in that clump of mud. 39. Dost thou hunt? For a lion prey and the desire of young lions fulfill? You and I think that lions hunt for their own food, but in this verse, the Lord says that He is the hunter and He is the one who finds food for the lion. The lion goes through the motions of getting their food, but it's really the Lord that provides the food. The Lord arranges for the lion to capture a certain animal and He arranges for that animal to get into the lion's sights and get close enough to him that it can be captured. 41 When they bow down in dens, abide in the thicket for a covert. And the Lord is with the lions when they go to sleep in their dens. Or when they are lurking and couching in the darkness of their den, ready to pounce out on something. He's with them. 41 Who doth prepare for a raven his provision? When his young ones cry unto God, they wander without food. Even the little birds in the nest who are crying for food, they're not actually crying to their parents like we think they are, they're crying unto God for food, and then God gives food to the parents and the parents take it to the nest. God gets credit for everything, there's nothing that we do, he does it all. And if we think we're smart, we're fools, because we don't have any knowledge except what he placed in our brain, and we don't have any understanding except what he put there. So we don't even have our own smarts. And if we think we're good looking, we're fools, because we don't have any beauty except what he put in us and created in us, so we can't take credit for beauty or anything. And that concludes Job chapter 38. In the next chapter, God will continue speaking.